Unfound Live comes to you through support at Patreon, PayPal, YouTube, and Unfound Live's gracious advertisers. On this episode, I will give my opinion on the Parkland School shooting verdict. I will update everyone on the progress in the Suzanne Morphew disappearance. I will happily read about a young man who has been found alive, and I will cover a bunch of other stuff, including the demise of Stitcher. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for July 3rd, 2023. Yes, let's go live. Why not, YouTube? Let's go live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the live show, the Unfound Live Show for July 3rd, 2023. Hope everybody had a great weekend. It has been absolutely beauteous. Here in the Tampa area of Florida, and it's been dang hot. I was out there today, and um, did a little bit of disc throwing, you know. But uh, everything's going good. I got a great, fantastic uh, live show lined up for you tonight. Variety of topics. Going to be at least one uh, large story that we have, uh, or I've brought up before on the live show at least a couple times, and some new things. And before we are all done tonight, I will tell you about this coming Friday's episode. The uh, interviews uh, were done. Yes, well, yeah, there were two interviews. Oh, they were done separately. They were done on Friday, so I'm going to tell you about this Friday's episode before we are done tonight, and I have a couple questions to answer from the audience. If any of you have any questions you'd like to ask me tonight about anything true crime or non-true crime related, please let me know right there in the chat. And if you'd like to monetarily contribute... To unfound, maybe in that uh, kind of that July 4th spirit, you can hit the super chat, which is at the bottom there. It's in the little um, little rectangle with the dollar sign in the middle if you'd like to monetarily contribute to what we are doing here. And uh, also, we're kind of doing something new. I'm going to get to this a little later. But I want to see if we can reach a goal of 40 likes while this live show is happening tonight 40 thumbs up that means not everybody but a lot of you are just going to have to remember to hit the thumbs up button can we get to 40 thumbs up i'm even gonna type it right here uh as during the live show can we do that 
Can we do that? I'm going to pin that message right there. Can we get to 40 thumbs up tonight? I want everybody to see that when they come in here. So it doesn't, uh, I'm going to pin it right there at the top. So let's see. I'm going to keep saying we got to get to 40. We're almost already halfway there. Almost. But let's see if we can get to that. Because you don't know. Um, it's important because it really helps us. That is part of the algorithm as it is understood for YouTube. If a video plays, how many thumbs up? The percentage of thumbs up that it gets. And that goes for all of you who are watching after as well. You're not watching this as a live show. You're watching it later. I hope you will give this a thumbs up while you're watching it. Okay. And then for all of you who are listening to this as a podcast, you should be liking this, giving uh, Unfound Live a nice review in whatever app you are using. All right. So I'd appreciate that. And if you're not yet a... Um, subscriber, I'm going to get into th to this a little bit later. Um, down here in the bottom right-hand corner is the subscribe button. I just wonder how many of you, you come to the live show, but maybe you are not subscribers to this channel. Think about doing that as well. I'm going to come back to that topic a little later. But like I said, I got a fantastic show lined up for you. Unfound stuff, non-unfound stuff. And uh, first, though, I'm going to just start off with a couple of personal things. You've probably noticed that um, don't talk about uh, personal stuff um, as much. Try to get right to the true crime stuff, usually, unless there's something unique going on that I think all of you would be interested in. But I had another eating lesson on Saturday. I uh, met my friend Sarah for lunch. And there are three main things that I should not be eating given my um, dietary issues, the way my uh, body processes things. And that is garlic, milk products, and wheat, like bread. Okay, these are three things that I should not be eating. Maybe one by itself isn't so bad. But I should surely never eat all of the three of them together. So where did I meet Sarah on Saturday? At a pizza place. It was my idea. I'm so stupid. And it was fine. But wow, Saturday night, uh, I did not sleep well. And... um you know, acid reflux, I don't usually get it, but man, I had it and it was just, just, um, you know, you got to be so disciplined when you have some of the issues that I have with food allergies and other things. It was bad. Like I said, it's all good, you know, until many hours later and uh, it is just ugly, but I do love pizza. You know, I was trying to test it out. Did not work at all. Not good. And it's kind of funny because I'm going to be going to Pennsylvania from July 19th to August 2nd. And my dad is, you know, says, well, I know you can't eat certain things. You know, what am I going to be able to make while you're here and everything? And I, 
I'm going to have to email him a, uh, a list of uh, things that I can't eat. And the list is quite long. So I had to learn another eating lesson on Saturday. And uh, it's just no good. Uh, just acid reflux. Just horrible. Now, now I feel great. feel absolutely great. Um, so it's just, it's just a little, you know, feel bad about it, but you're not thinking you can, I can, can't do anything about it. So I'm going to now see who is in here and we'll move on to some other things. Hello, Karen. Hello, Melody and Carrie, assistant Carrie. How are you? And Penny and hello, Kathy. I know. Yeah. You said you were sick yesterday, Kathy. Sorry to hear that. Hello, Sarah, Shree, thank you for moderating. Puma, and I want to thank all of you in the uh, green there for being supporters of this channel. If you are wondering why some people, you in the chat are wondering why some uh, people have green names instead of like these gray names, it's because they are members of this channel. They get things that you don't. If you'd like to join them and they get little cute emojis and everything, all you have to do is hit the join button below and you can become a supporter of this channel as well and be cool like the cool kids and uh marty what's going on uh mt i'm going to answer your question tonight mt the real coming to us from australia patty good to see you i want to reiterate again as i'm going down the chat can we get 40 thumbs up tonight we're halfway there and I see some people have not given a thumbs up. We're trying to get to 40 thumbs up tonight. Can we do it? All of you out there on your phones, your tablets, your laptops, whatever. Thumbs up, please. Hello, Marty. Miranda says, pinning it is a good idea because the chat covers the thumbs up button. So I know for me, it's out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Thank you for telling me that, Miranda. Thank you uh, for informing me. Uh, Kathy says she always hits the thumb up. I know you do, Kathy. And Mark, what's going on with you? And Suzanne, good to see you as well. Hello. It reminds me. Hello. It reminds me of uh, Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. Hello. Moving on. Uh, disc golf had a one-round disc golf tournament this weekend, and I played okay. Just had three baskets in a row that got me in trouble. Otherwise, pretty good. Threw some of the best shots I've ever thrown on that course on Saturday morning. But then just um, kind of fell apart in, in some other ways. But really shooting a 56 there, it's one of my better scores in an official tournament round there. So like I said, I, I can't complain too much. But it was good to get out. My next one-round tournament will be two weeks from now. I think it's July 15th uh, over there at Taylor. And then I'm going to be going to Pennsylvania. I'm going to be playing in a tournament at Moraine State Park while I'm there. That'll be July 29th. And then the big tournament in Orlando is coming back for Labor Day weekend. And I am planning on being there. And uh, I haven't played in Orlando in a couple years. I haven't played in Orlando since 2021, like at Worlds, which I didn't play well. And I haven't played the Turkey Lake courses over there in an official tournament round 
wow, maybe 2019 or something like that. Used to seems like back in the day I used to go over there all the time, and now these days not as much. But um, so those are some things going on. Disc golf. I did get out and throw uh, this evening. That's why my hair might look a little wet to you in the video because um, I took a shower probably. I got out of the shower about 8 o'clock, and it usually takes like an hour and a half for my hair to dry. So if you're looking at it and thinking Ed's hair looks a little wet, it's still just a little damp. Um, Puma says, curious, you can see on your end, Ed, who hits the thumbs up and not just the number. No, I can't tell who hits, uh, who has hit. I don't think I can. I can't see on my end who has hit the thumbs up button and who hasn't. All I can tell you is that um, that what the number is, and then um, you you know if you think you've hit it, maybe you want to try again. You can of course only like a video once, so keep that in mind. Um, and I realize tonight might be a little tough getting there. A lot of people. Um, of course, tomorrow is the 4th of July, at least here in the United States, that's a special day. And so people might have, uh, plans this evening since a lot of people don't work tomorrow. So I, I do anticipate maybe the viewership might not be the same as what it usually is, but who knows? Uh, as I was talking to Eric, telling Eric and Sheree this past weekend, it seems the longer the, the live shows goes, gets into it, the more viewers we have. Uh, curiously, it's it's a constant thing. So I don't I don't know why that is, but that's why I'm picking out the number of forty. So forty thumbs up uh, would make me very happy tonight. So that means everybody has to hit the button. All right, let's move on to the meat part of the show. I'll just start with the Brian Vargo poll. Yeah, uh, you you kind of I think all know me by now. Uh, of course, um, of course, a week and a half ago, I really enjoyed finally uh, having uh, Mara Mara's disappearance on Unfound. Wasn't something that I thought would ever happen. Wasn't sure about that. I talked about that last week. Of course, it's a very well known disappearance, and I was happy to do it. I thought it came out really well. A lot of good views. A lot of good. Re- uh, it was received very well. Um, the comments like here on YouTube have been very positive and that's always, um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of important because I realize there are a lot of people out there who know Mara Murray's disappearance. So when you can do coverage like that and people find out about it and they watch or they listen and they already know going in a lot about the disappearance, but then they come away still with a very positive experience and even feel like they've learned things, even if they have known about Mara Murray's disappearance for a long time, that's, um, you know, that makes me feel really good that, you know, we're, we're doing things here the right way. And as I was, once again, as I was telling Eric and Sheree on Saturday, when we had, uh, or yesterday, when we had our, our little meeting um, yesterday afternoon about a variety of topics that, uh, the videos here on YouTube, if, you know, it's 99% like, and that for Mara Murray's uh, both episodes. And that's something considering how divisive uh, the 
the commentary on that disappearance has been over the years. To have a video out there to get coverage and to get 99% approval rating is something. So uh, little could I have expected that. But where I'm going with this, even though I enjoy covering those well-known disappearances, Brian Schaefer, Jody Hughes, Troop, Flight 370, Mar Murray, I still think that the the specialness of Unfound is uh, not, you know, really looking for those disappearances like disappearances like Brian Vargo's, a disappearance that really is not known by many people at all. Yes, it's on the Charlie Project. Yes, it's on Namus, but we now know, as you all now know, it's only been on Namus. For like a month or something like that. And the police report didn't get filed to 2021. And you won't find any news articles on Brian's disappearance going the whole way back to 1976. And um, to be able to bring that one to everybody, to have Amanda on. And on, in addition, showing the, you know, the great work that she has been doing over the last couple years. Uh, is really, I think, where my head and my heart lies when it comes to Unfound. Like I said, very happy to cover Mar Murray's disappearance and do it well, and Brian Shavers, Jody Usentruth, and all these other well-known ones that have been well-known basically since they happened. But one like Brian Vargo's and many others that we've covered over the years, these ones that are just lesser-known and getting them out there. And of course, they're going to be on YouTube or whatever forever. And I hope this leads to a resolution eventually. I, I love covering these really lesser known disappearances. And so uh, it, I thought that uh, Amanda did a fantastic job. It was uh, certainly an information packed two hour interview with her. So on that, uh, as I do every week when we have uh, a disappearance, on the next day I posted in the discussion group a poll, you know, asking what do you think happened to Brian Vargo? And so I'm just going to read it off right now. Just hold on for a moment so I can refresh the screen so I can get the most latest Results for all of you. So the Brian Vargo poll, it was what happened to Brian Vargo? if you're not yet part of the discussion group, please, uh, if you're on Facebook, please ask to be led into the discussion group. We have almost nine. We have 8,800 members in there. And this is going to be very relevant later when I talk to you about something new we're going to be doing with the live show. But what happened to Brian Vargo, the choices were he started a new life somewhere. He met with foul play soon after March 9th of 1976. And the third option, the third choice was he committed suicide somewhere. In the discussion group on Facebook, the popular, most popular choice was 63% of the vote was that he met with foul play soon after March 9th, 1976. It seems like those discussion group people, man, they really love the foul play choice in any, any, it seems like any poll that's put in there. Uh, second was he started a new life somewhere. 
and that with 22% and then with 15%, uh, 15% of the people said he committed suicide somewhere. So once again, he met with foul play soon after March 9th, got over 60% of the vote in the poll in the Facebook group. In contrast, and this often happens, you've heard me talk about this before, in the think tank, which we conduct every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern time, although this one started at 6.45 because we had on the ground uh, last night at 8.15. Think tank was exactly the opposite. In fact, I, I was really surprised that most of the people in the think tank believe that Brian Vargo committed suicide shortly after he went missing March 9th, 1976. Uh, So it's exactly the opposite. Like I said, this happens all the time. But I have to tell you that I I was really surprised by the suicide choice. I really thought that in the think tank, and you should know the way you do the think tank, and if you'd like to be a member of the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, and you have to sign up at least the $12 a month level, but you get a lot of other things for that money. Uh, I was expecting, you know, uh, we conduct all the, I do all these questions. We have this discussion for like an hour. I ask them very pointed questions about the uh, disappearance. Then at the end, I ask everybody, well, what's your theory? What do you think happened? And I have to admit that I did not see it coming at all that when we got to me asking them what their theories were, that so many of them would say suicide. It just, there was nothing that I sensed in asking them all these other questions, talking back and forth last night, that would lead me to believe so many of them thought he killed himself. But that's what the majority choice was in the think tank. And once again, if you want to be a member of the think tank, and everybody who's in the think tank loves it, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. So for me, uh, I do do the blog. Uh, I write the blog. It's usually at least 3000 words. It's always at least 3000 words and it's both written and audio. And you, to, to, uh, partake in the blog, it's just $2 a month. People patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Um, I decided that he had walked off and started a new life somewhere. I I don't think that maybe anybody would be surprised by me saying that it very well may be that he, that he's deceased now. It very well may be that he eventually committed suicide, but in my assessment, I did not get the feeling that he would have committed suicide uh, shortly after leaving simply because he just wanted to commit suicide. There was no reason to quit school and, and do all of these other things. There's no reason he's talking about the title of his car. There's no reason that the car had to disappear and all of this. Um, I'm not saying he didn't eventually do that. We just, I mean, people commit suicide all the time. It's very sad for all sorts of reasons. He may have committed suicide in 1981 or 1993 or 2007 or something. But I do not believe that that happened right after. What are the odds of him being alive now? Well, he was 20 and 76. So it'd still be in his 60s. So I'd say the odds are pretty good 
that uh, Brian uh, would still be alive. But, you know, maybe he got cancer. Maybe he was a car, in a car wreck. You know, I don't know. So, um, so everybody uh, was, you know, I guess the three groups, the discussion group poll, the think tank, and myself all differed this time, which is really, really, really rare. Um, as far as I can remember, in, of course, we've been doing the polls and the discussion group. For a very long time, uh, the think tank's been going on, I think, think, since like the beginning of 2019, and I've been writing the blog since 2017, and it's very rare where the discussion group, the think tank, and me all decide differently. But I was really surprised by you think tank members, and I know many of you here are watching tonight thinking that uh, suicide was the most likely choice. Interesting. What's everybody saying here? Uh, okay, Puma, you got that. All right, thank you. And to several people follow Julie Murray. I've seen a lot of comments online telling people to listen to the interview. I Hopefully, it'll bring even more listeners to your podcast. It very well may be, MT. Um, and I'm going to get into some of the, the talk that I had with uh, Sheree and Eric. Uh, that's going to come up a little bit. But certainly, um, since the YouTube views are public, uh, you can certainly see that Part one viewers viewing is what, 2,400 or something now, which I know compared to a lot of other <laughs> true crime channels out there, that's not many views. But sometimes I start to wonder, are those views really weird or not? Because it can all be faked. But that is uh, way above usually what the views get for the episodes on there. You know, Unfound is an audio, you know, it's audio, it's a podcast. Anything that happens here on YouTube, even with this live show and with the episodes putting on YouTube, is like a secondary, what we might call a secondary market. Um, most people, 95% of the audience out there, partakes in unfound uh, audio, audio, through audio, through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else. It's just a small part of the audience that takes part in the episodes, listens or watches the episodes on YouTube. I just want all of you to realize that. So when you see, uh, you know, uh, an episode on YouTube that's only gotten a thousand views, like I said, that's just like ten percent of what that episode, the coverage it usually gets. So with Mar Murray Part One being well into the two thousands. And part two, I don't know why part two is lagging so far behind. I don't know what that is. It's lagging a little bit. Even it is well ahead of where the episodes usually are. Certainly, um, covering Mara's disappearance, uh, you know, has boosted, you know, the, it's just a popular disappearance. Everybody knows about it. But of course, that's not the reason I wanted to cover it. I just thought it was time that, that we do that. And I'm glad Julie came on. So with Brian Vargo, though, it does seem, and uh, you know, you bringing that up, MT, that the Brian Vargo disappearance, even though he is not known at all until Friday, um, his viewership has been well ahead of the curve as well. So very well may be, MT, that the Mar Murray uh, – episodes whether audio or video here on youtube have brought more people to unfound we'll just have to see what kind of trend uh there is empty but it's certainly possible 
Uh, Kathy, that was my opinion from the very beginning regarding Brian Varga. To me, nothing else seemed likely given. All right, we got you out. Uh, of course, Kathy. Carrie, I, I think tragic accident on the way back to Colorado. Okay, Carrie. So Carrie's thinking he wrecked in his car or something somewhere, and he just hasn't been found yet. Okay, Carrie. Penny withdrew from school feeling guilty about spending money. See his letter to his dad. I saw his letters to his dad, Penny. Certainly true. What's unclear, though, is if his, you know, we're just not sure if that was sent. Of course, being that it was in Brian's stuff, did he ever actually send it to his, his dad? We don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's a letter, but if it was something that he sent, wouldn't have been in his dad's possession, his parents' possession, not at his place. That's the way I would look at it. So we just don't. It's just so hard to tell, Penny, but I, I get what you're saying. Seemed like a troubled young man uh, a bit. Uh, just uh, I don't believe the title story, uh, as I stated in the summation. And when you when you start to doubt that, then pretty much anything, I guess, becomes possible. And if you want to believe that somebody murdered him, no, no facts to dispute that. I'm not going to surely argue with somebody who might think that. So... Um, Brian Vargas is the kind of disappearance that leaves itself to a lot of speculation. In my opinion, much more, many more possibilities with Brian than there are with Mara, given that it was just the week before. Just as an example, uh, if we want to compare two disappearances back to back, there were back to back weeks. That's the way I look at it. At it, maybe you see something different. Penny, he may not have sent it. Writing is like therapy. Write it out, ponder. Maybe it will lead to a decision, right? So we just don't know. Penny, we just don't know. All right, let's get to some uh, national news. And uh going to talk about Suzanne and Barry Morphew again. And we got, I just want to remind all of you, this is still a disappearance. Despite Barry being charged and the charges being dropped and everything else, and of course, a lot of people do believe that she was murdered and probably Barry did it, but we have to remember that this is still a disappearance. And as long as it's that way, dare I say, maybe somewhere down the road next year or something, it very well may be that Suzanne Morphew's disappearance makes it on to unfound if it continues to be you know, unsolved. For long enough. I don't know who I'd personally talk to. Can't talk to Barry. <laughs> uh, probably can't talk to their two daughters because it does seem that, that I don't know how, how unbiased they might be. Um, maybe if we could track down somebody in Suzanne's family, that's a possibility. Just want to preface that before I get into this conversation. And this is something that Shree and I were talking about a couple days ago through text. Because there is new new information out there uh, regarding this. Sensitive documents in the Barry Morphew murder case showed that his wife was finished with their 25-year-old mar- 25 marriage and very much in love with another man. Some of Susan Morphew's communication with a high school flame has never been made public. They were revealed in a timeline which was filed March 25, 2022 and unsealed Tuesday evening. That's last week, less than a week ago. Nobody loves you like the way I do. I crave with you. I crave time with you. I crave the feeling I get when we connect physically or emotionally. You're my guy always. This is what 
Suzanne wrote to this other man, not to her husband. The next night, May 8th, 2020, Morphe wrote her secret boyfriend again, this time while she was out to dinner with Barry. You're the only real love I've known, the only love I want. Allowing the romantic communication between Suzanne Morphy, 49, and Jeff Libler, Libler, a father of six who lived in Michigan, was intended to convince a jury that the Morphy's marriage was disintegrating, contrary to what Barry Morphy first told investigators. Judge Ramsey Lama never got a chance to rule on whether to allow the text. The case was dismissed without prejudice by the prosecution for lack of evidence on April 19th, 2022. That was over a year ago now. Days before jury selection was to begin, Barry Morphy was facing first-degree murder charges in the case and was allowed to go free. The term without prejudice means the case can be retried at a later date. According to her communication with her best friend, Sheila Oliver, Morphy was struggling with her marriage for almost two years. In the motion to introduce the statements, FBI investigator Jonathan Grusing wrote that Suzanne Morphy's communication showed the ups and downs that occurred from May 2018 until her death in May of 2020, so it's been over three years now, and explained to the jury how the marriage reached its tipping point by May of 2022. During their affair, Morphew and Libler communicated on LinkedIn and on WhatsApp, a phone application which allows users to chat over the internet as opposed to standard SMS texting. She never told anyone about the multi-year fling. And this is something, and I even have this highlighted in my notes, uh, this article that I'm reading off to my left here. Uh, this was this really caught my eye. Not even investigators knew about the affair until months after Morphew disappeared. So this Jeff Libler guy did not come forward when it happened. They interviewed Libler in November of 2020, but by that time, he said he didn't remember their last conversations at excuse me, and his phone had been destroyed. That's in this article. I know a lot of you, if not most of you, if not all of you, think that Barry did this, but it is curious. I don't know. Jeff Libler's alibi might be as solid as this table right here, but when I hear something, um, you know, they interviewed Libler in November of 2026. Six months later, he didn't come forward himself. But by the time he said, by, by that time, he said he didn't remember their last conversations. The woman, the love of his life, he, he was cheating on his wife. He's, you know, he's sexting with Suzanne Morphew, but he just can't remember the last conversations. And that his phone had been destroyed. Oh, really? Moving on. In another motion, the defense wanted def evidence that uh, Morphe watched forensic files and other true crime shows to be scrapped from the trial. Not all of Suzanne Morphe's heartfelt thoughts revealed in the motion were new. Some of her texts were discussed during the August 2021 evidentiary hearing, but dozens of thoughts she expressed to Oliver had remained, remained under seal until now. Let me just see what everybody's saying. Cherie, uh, Jonathan Grusing, same FBI agent as the Gannon stock disappearance. Thank you uh, for that, Cherie. Valerie, your hair is looking great, Ed. Hello, everyone. 
Thank you, Valerie. It should being that I took an, uh, a shower like an hour before we turned on the camera tonight. Very kind. Thank you, Valerie. Uh, this might explain why, Carrie. I was going to mention that too, Cherie. Okay. Regarding that FBI agent. Some of them had already been ordered to be suppressed by Lama, and he may not have ruled to admit them. On November 27th, 2018, in a timeline created by Grusing, Suzanne Morphy wrote that her husband sensed she was gaining strength and was uncomfortable with it. Just not, just not need his approval all the time is so freeing. Just not needing his approval all the time is so freeing. Really, I've really had to do my own soul searching. Many things I've done wrong over the years and allowed to creep in. Breaking the codependency for me is big. As the months went on, Grusing documented the 49-year-old mother of two's growing need to get a divorce. On August 25th, 2019, she wrote, I feel no peace when he's here. I don't know what to do. I don't feel safe around him. He's lost my trust. He will do anything to come out looking good. Suzanne Morphew also worried about the couple's two daughters, one of whom Macy still lived at home. He pulled girls in and told them everything that day. I lost all respect for him that day. Macy mentioned us separating today or divorcing. She wants us happy. She's tired of the tension. He plays the hurt one. The document, I tell you, uh, not to foreshadow everything for the end of this live show, but this, this all reminds me so much of this coming Friday's disappearance, by the way. The document was important to prosecutors because they believed it showed that Suzanne Morphew's state of mind was in direct opposition to what Barry Morphew told investigators when they first interviewed him the night she was reported missing. Prosecutors said that Barry Morphew was not truthful about his failing marriage when he was first interviewed by law enforcement on May 10th, 2020. Morphew said that the evening before, the couple had shared a wonderful night eating steaks uh, doing adult things and going to bed early. Detectives became suspicious when, contrary to Baron Morphew's description of a perfect evening, evening, a couple of Suzanne Morphew's texts just two days earlier revealed that their marriage was actually on the rocks. It's been hard dealing with the harsh abrasiveness and having to show respect. He's also been abusive emotionally and physically. Suzanne texted her older sister on May 2020, describing her husband of 25 years. There's so much, hard to share it all and give you a clear picture. Early that morning, earlier that morning, Morphe wrote a list of grievances she had with Barry, whom she met and married in their hometown of Alexandria, Indiana. Her words strengthened the district attorney's theory that Barry Morphe killed his wife in a fit of jealousy and insecurity. That theory was revealed in the August 2021 evidentiary hearing. I got that word right. Chief District Judge Patrick Murphy bound the case over for trial shortly after that, but the prosecution dismissed its own case for lack of evidence on the eve of the trial in April 2022. In a text interview, Barry Morphew's attorney, Iris Eiton, said that the judge's ruling to release case documents came out of the blue and that Morphew does not have the emotional or financial resources to continue this battle against the prosecutor's misconduct. She challenged a release on the grounds that Morphew has already suffered for three years in trying to get his life together. Last month, Morphew filed a $15 million civil rights lawsuit, which states that he was wrongfully arrested, jailed, and prosecuted for the alleged murder of his wife, Suzanne, for a crime he did not commit. The Morphew investigation has been fraught with challenges. Murphy recused himself due to a friendship he had with an attorney involved with the case. There was a change of venue from Chaffee to Fremont County, and the most recent district judge, Ramsey Lama, stepped down from the bench soon after. Chaffee County Sheriff John Spezzi, who is in charge of the Morphew case, told the Denver Gazette that the case is ongoing, 
The legal observers say the longer a case goes, the more others pile up. That's certainly true. What it sounds like to me is law enforcement needs some help. It looks like we're having public disclosure, and that signals to me maybe law enforcement is looking for help with the public in resolving this case, said former federal prosecutor and criminal defense attorney Eric Faddis, who acknowledged this looks like this is going in the direction of a cold case. Dave Lipka, a Colorado Springs criminal defense attorney, said a three-year-old murder investigation, even when this high profile, can be a burden on law enforcement. In practice, when you have a case this old, a motion to dismiss that has been granted, you will not have the same amount of resources dedicated to the investigation. Suzanne Morphew's body has never been found. Deputy District Attorney Mark Herbert said that prosecutors suspect they know where a body is located, but that she is in a difficult spot. I'm going to come back to that. Though Eiton did not want the documents released, Herbert Holbert, Herbert did not challenge the decision to unseal them. Lipka was surprised because it's usually the opposite. Generally, you want to keep information sealed. If you have a true investigation, you don't want to taint the jury pool by releasing information that may not be admissible at trial. Um, all right, let's just go down into this. So I want to read this again. Uh, here's what uh, the, the, the police are saying. She is in a very difficult spot, meaning Suzanne. We actually have more than just a feeling, and the sheriff's office is continuing to look for Mrs. Mrs. Morphew's body. 11th Judicial Deputy District Attorney Mark Herbert said Monday, so just, I think, a week ago. According to the Denver Gazette, Herbert made the stunning claim during the hearing called by attorneys for Barry Morphew, who requested to keep records in the case sealed indefinitely. Barry remains a suspect, even though charges against him were dropped just before his trial. Investigators said their probe could take months or even years to determine whether the 49-year-old mother, who never returned from a bike ride in 2020 while her husband was away on business, was murdered. So that was a long article for me to read. But that has all happened within the last 10 days. So some of this, getting a, a better idea of what was going on in the Morphe marriage. We have these texts. We have these messages. We now know what this other guy you know, has said. And putting that all together, and I can hear people already sending off fireworks. Uh, I guess it's July 4th already in uh, in Australia, right, The Real? Um, but if you hear anything in the background, I'm here out, you know, I live near the beach, and so people can go out the beach and shoot fireworks into the Gulf. If you hear any of that, that's what's going on. But um, let's see what everybody is uh, saying here. Um, I was good. Yeah. MT, this, this might explain why Suzanne's daughters support their dad. Yeah. Because they now know that their mother was cheating on their father. Uh, MT, I can't, I can't argue with that. Um, and Shri is saying Jeff was in Michigan, Carrie, even more so a burden when high profile. Yeah. When these, yeah, it certainly is a burden. It, it, this is a high profile disappearance. Once again, there's no proof that Suzanne Morphew is deceased. All right. If there were, they would have prosecuted. They wouldn't have dropped the charges last year. Just Let's just remember this. We think we know what happened, but. Um, but it is curious. Uh, you know, Sharia is saying Jeff was in Michigan. I know. But, you know, you hate. This is, this is what makes this tough stuff tough. So tough. This stuff, so tough. 
you have two adults who should know better. Um, sounds like Suzanne was in a horrible marriage. She should have just gotten divorced. I know it's easy for me to talk, but cheating on your husband, whatever Barry was doing, does just get away, you know, do it. Just get it done. Uh, I would say the same thing to men. <laughs> this is not uh, a, a gender thing. But and just a lot of adults who know better, better and they're acting very badly. The issue uh, here is that it, the, the way I look at it, and we've covered many, many disappearances like this, and we're going to cover another one very, very similar to this on Friday. Just uh, like I said, giving you a thumbs up. It just doesn't seem to me, and I, I realize many of you know this case a lot better than I do, but just reading something like for the last 10 minutes, however long it was, it just is clear to me that they can't break Barry's alibi to the point that, point that a jury will believe it. We know that people can be convicted, although we know it's rare. People, killers can be convicted without bodies. We know it happens. Rare. Would like it to happen a lot more often. Would like to even for it to happen in um, disappearances that we've covered on Unfound that seem very similar to this one. The difference, I would say, in contrasting most of the ones that we've covered on Unfound you know, the Marion Hurleys, the Rosemary Raps, the Angela Greens that who have disappeared. The issue is that those men didn't need alibis because they said they were at home right where their wives were. This is what the big difference is between theirs and the Morphew disappearance. And it makes those, these unfound ones, um, you know, does it make them harder to to prosecute or easier to prosecute? Being that all those the, the victims and their husbands, their husbands have never been prosecuted, that never even been charged with anything. It shows us how hesitant prosecutors are to do this. It shows it maybe how difficult they see doing it, you know, to do it. Whereas with Suzanne Morphew's disappearance. The big elephant in the room is that Barry says he was totally somewhere else. And dare I say it, if it had just been home, this is this is one of those like um, counterintuitive or paradoxical things that you often run into disappearances, at least the way I look at it doing this for almost seven years. I can almost say with a lot of assuredness, if Barry Morphew had been at home when his wife went missing and it was all the same, everything was the same, that her bike, he says that she went out with her for a bike ride and never came back. I doubt to this day he would have been charged with anything. That he was, you know, wherever he says he was, it almost seems to me that is what caused people to be suspicious. What are the odds 
that when he says he's out of town is when she goes missing. What are the odds? Whereas husbands and wives usually live together. So there are no odds because that's what's happening most of the time. They are usually together most of the time. It's just, I don't know, there's something there. I don't have it all mapped out or anything. But as I was reading this article, preparing to bring it to all of you, it did occur to me that um, if Mary Morphew was home, everybody would still suspect that he did something to her. But I don't think any charges would have been brought to him against him but because he says he was out of town and i know you know and everything it just made it seem like i bet he wasn't out of town but but i still continue to believe also once again almost opposing this directly opposing to just what i just said that it's just clear to me that they can't break Ali, barry's alibi to the point that a jury will believe it i think if they could I think if they could prove, you know, pretty, pretty well, factually, that he says he was here, but actually he was right down the road or even anywhere else. He says he was here, but he was somewhere else. I think that they would have brought these charges against him, even without her being found. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Let me see what everybody else is uh, saying about this. Uh, Miranda says, it seems like she was in an abusive marriage and that she can take a while to get out for some people. True. Penny says, Bazinga, that's right. No place like home has more than one meaning. Uh, Sheree says, the affair actually speaks very loudly to motive. If Barry found out when his truck got home that day, how does Barry know she went on a bike ride if he was out of town? I think, you know, we just have to realize that there's a reason they dropped the charges. There's a reason. I mean, we know most of the time charges aren't brought at all. I mean, all of you, if you're tuning into this live show, you know, you're really, really a a very energetic, unfound listener. I appreciate all of you being here tonight. But you know we've covered a lot of disappearances like this, and we know that except for, like, Angie Arnell's husband, who did end up being prosecuted, went to jail for a little bit, and he's, he's now a free man for years and years and years. And she's still missing. Other than that, charges aren't brought against these guys. But something happened. And it's just something that we may never know until a trial actually happens, if a trial ever actually happens. Um, because they have to realize... If you've been looking for this, you know, and as Sri and I were talking a couple of days ago, this whole stuff about, well, she's in a very difficult place and everything. As Sri said, I'll just credit Sri with this. That's all completely BS. If they knew where she was, they'd just go get her. Well, she's in a difficult place. I mean, let me read that again. It's a little pathetic. I mean, it's a, she's in a very difficult spot. We actually have more than just a feeling. And the sheriff's office is continuing to look for Mrs. Morphew's body. They don't know where she is. If they did, they'd go get her. If Barry Morphew hid her in North Korea, they'd go get her. They'd they'd work something out with Kim Jong-un and go get her. If, If he put her body down at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean with the Titanic, they'd figure out a way to go down and get her. 
This is all just talk. I hate this stuff. I hate it. I, it's just drama. It's just, if you know it, just go do it. You don't have to tell us. Yeah, all right, just go do it. Stop talking. Uh, the way I read, of course, I've gotten things wrong before. Um, but I've gotten a lot, I tell you what, I've gotten a lot right since Unfound started as well. I've gotten, certainly gotten some things wrong. I would not, I would not be thinking that Barry Morphew is going to get charged again anytime soon. Now, what does that mean? Let's just say for the rest of this year. Um, if they could have really broken his alibi to the point that they know he's lying, they wouldn't have, they would have charged him and wouldn't have dropped the charges. If they knew where she was, they would have gone and gotten her. If they would have found, um, you know, a murder weapon or something like that, they wouldn't have dropped the charges. If they had somebody who could prove there was video of him in the area around the house, the time that she went out for the bike ride, they wouldn't have dropped the charges. They dropped the charges. And we also know if they don't have that stuff now in July of 2023, they're never going to have it. Because all of those things would be enough to sustain the charges. And a jury would look at that even without her body and say, you know what? He's lying. That's enough to convict him. It's the whole Steve Pankey thing all over again. <laughs> it's the whole, you know, is having played a major part in that. There's no proof that Steve Pankey killed Janelle Matthews. The jury inferred it. And you know how I feel about that. With this, it's the same thing. And coincidentally, this is in Colorado too. If you don't have this information now, I don't know how you're ever going to get this information regarding Barry and everything else. So it very well may be this that might end up being an unfound episode somewhere down the road. Very well may be. Um, let's put it this way. If Unfound's around for another 10 years, and this is unsolved for another 10 years, I think the odds are pretty, 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 pretty good this will end up a disappearance on Unfound. And I think it's... I, I think so. This is just the feeling that I'm getting on this. It's bad news when they charge somebody and then drop the charges, and it doesn't seem like anything has changed since they did so. Um, let's see. Um, speaks very loudly to motive. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of the motive here. Certainly. Um, the problem here, here's the other problem. And, and once again, I don't know what happened. The problem is that I also think if Suzanne had not been having this affair, I also think probably that they, those char- they might have kept with those charges. I think there's a good point of that too. Uh, Carrie says right now they can cast doubt by pointing at the boyfriend. Yeah. Or the boyfriend's wife. Absolutely. Uh, Rockford, Barry's defense attorneys have enough other noise and distractions and shiny things to distract the jury. That's the problem for the prosecution. Well, that... And the well-thought-out alibi. Yeah, and that's... Uh, I'll get to that. Thank you for bringing that up, Rockford. Miranda, I think he said he noticed her bike wasn't at home. Marty, that's true. If they know, they would get her. Yeah. Yeah, they don't know. Art. Hey, Art Vandelay. Uh, 
Dennis Rodman would go get her from Look at You, Art Vandelay from North Korea. Nicely done, Art Vandelay. And I know who Art Vandelay is. Penny, I can guarantee if it was my family member, remains would be covered. No two ways about it. Shree's not going to get $15 million either. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, Shree, one of the oldest motives in the world, a spouse leaving partner, spouse cheating on partner. They don't have enough evidence yet. Penny B, they have to drop the charges that they want to preserve the right to prosecute. He has a right to a street trial. That's true, Penny. But you wonder why they brought the charges in the first place. Uh, do you think they were trying to scare him? I don't know. Let me go back to what Rockford said. Yeah, it, I, I'd like to just um, ask all of you this. We're almost to that 40 thumbs up number. That is spectacular. We were four short of 40 thumbs up for tonight. That is spectacular. Can we get to 40? We got an hour and five minutes. Can we do it? And I appreciate all of you uh, for partaking in this little goal of mine tonight. Thank you very much. Are you inclined to believe that if we are to believe, hypothetically, if Barry Morphew killed Suzanne Morphew, do you believe that this was a something that was planned out days in advance? Or do you think that this was some spur-of-the-moment thing? What do you think? What does your gut tell you? Now, I will tell you that, I'm, as you know, I'm inclined to believe that a lot of these things happen like this spur of the moment. And especially helps if the guy's there at home and he does, he's not saying he's like hours away. Um, that I'm inclined to believe that this was something, it was domestic violence that went that one step further and the guy decided he couldn't go back. Um, but I'd like your uh, insight to all of this. You've been listening to Unfound, listening to Unfound for a while. You know, this is how we think about disappearances. One of the things we think about is, you know, if we believe it's foul play, was it planned? Wasn't it? For example, some of these that we know that have been solved. Um, Zoe Campos, not planned. Surely spur of the moment. Whereas Tyler North, and that trial is going to be happening. Surely planned. Uh, what's what would be uh, another one? Um, Andrea Bowman, hard to tell. Probably planned because there is a belief that the reason that Dennis Bowman did this because Andrea was telling the school nurse that she was being abused. This would then lead us to being planned. On the other hand, it very well may be that it wasn't planned. Of course. Dennis Bowman, when he just pled guilty to it, he said that, you know, he hit her or something and she fell down the steps and died. So really, he's blaming it on the steps. So I don't believe that happened at all. So it would lead us to believe that maybe it was planned. But there's some wiggle room in there. So here at Unfound, for these disappearances that have been solved that were foul play, that were murders, we have a little bit of a variety there. So for all of you, what are you thinking about Suzanne Morphew's disappearance? Are you thinking that uh, if Barry did it, that um, it was spur of the moment, or was this something that he planned out? Did he think this all, okay, I'm going to kill her, I'm going to pretend I was here two hours away and everything, or is that just the way it worked out? I would write... um, 
like all of your thoughts, and that is anybody who wants to uh, give their opinion on it. And we are only one more thumbs up away from 40. Maybe we should try to go to for 45. What do you say? We got an hour to go. When we get to 40, I'll decide if I want to just try to push you a little bit more. So what's everybody saying? Um, Carrie says, I think bringing charges was a bit premature. I, I guess so, given that they dropped them. Okay. Shree says, heat of the moment. Carrie says, random act. Art, he seems like a planner. So we're going in the planning direction. Kathy, second degree. They had an argument that boiled over, so not planned. Spur of the moment. Veronica says, in the moment. Uh, Deborah, spur of the moment. Hello, Deborah. What's going on tonight? Good to see you. Rockford planned. Spontaneity can be a criminal's friend in random cases, but usually not in domestic cases. His alibi deal makes me think he planned it. All right, so Rockford's in the plans uh, category. MT is in the planned category. So we're split it really, really close to 50-50. Shree, when he left that morning, he thought he was happily married. He found out differently when he came home early and found Susan text Suzanne texting. Okay. So spur of the moment. Apparently, prosecution may have had some of their evidence quashed. If there's no public reference to the hearing to squash, it may have been in cam- in camera. Look at you using the fancy uh trial terms, Penny. Penny, good one, Shree. Why was the cell phone pinging all over the yard? Plant. So Penny's going plant. So we're pretty much 50-50 about whether it was spur of the moment or planned. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, like I said, I, I usually in these sort of situations default to spur of the moment. So that's what I'm going to have to do here. Here's another problem, I think, with this with this case that is a problem for the prosecution, is that we're only getting a sample of what she said and in a way, Suzanne Morphew sounds like a little bit of a desperate woman. And it very well could be. I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm not saying I necessarily believe it. But we know what happens when people you know, get into desperate situations. What do they do? They do go running off by themselves. And they do commit suicide. And they do put themselves in complex situations and everything else. So reading that, it, it, you know, did she make a, a very rash decision all on her own that day? This doesn't help the prosecution. Just her own words hurt her. Not because she's talking about another guy, but just the emotion of them, her mental state. Um, could lead uh, people to believe, once again, in a trial situation where everything's treated fairly and everything else. It could lead the jury to think, you know what? She sounds like a desperate woman. She's married. She's not sure how she's going to get out of this marriage. The man she's in love with is in Michigan, you know, many, many, many miles away. She feels cornered. She feels stuck. What's a person to do? That doesn't help. Uh, Penny, um, Uh, Sharice says, I think he was chasing her, Penny. So she's on her bike chasing her. Penny seems like an organized guy. So planned. Okay, Penny. That that's controlling less planned. Okay. And Charlotte, what's going on with you, Charlotte? Good to see you. All right. Let's move on to, I'm going to answer both questions. So I don't run out of time tonight. 
I'm going to move on to this. So this is a great discussion we've had with Susan Murphy. It's very fascinating to me that the audience uh, split 50-50, like almost 50-50 on planned or, planned or spur of the moment. You, you, all of you always fascinate me. Thank you so very much. And we've made it to 40 thumbs up. Can we go to 45? Can we get to 45 thumbs up? And I realize the viewership's actually under that, but people come and go and everything. If you're just getting into the chat now, we're trying to get, we've gotten to 40 thumbs up. Can we get to 45 thumbs up with less than an hour to go? Uh, Penny, on top of Barry being volatile, his wife had wickedly duped him. I mean, tears she covered up. He was beyond livid. Yeah. That would lead to a spur of the moment, possibly uh, Penny, but you're also saying it was planned. So, Okay, Charlotte, I think he killed her, and it was planned. Okay, Charlotte, put you in the planned column. All right, we're to 41. <laughs> Penny with the die. No, uh, thank you, Penny. All right, let's answer these two questions. Uh, and both question askers are in the chat tonight, so that's fantastic. MT asked me, uh, being that I do talk about concerts that I've gone to this year, of course, I've gone to see The Cult. And then I went to see Megadeth, uh, you know, nine days ago. What was my first concert? My first big concert um, that I went to was at the Civic Arena. It was in May of 1984. I went with Brad Laddick and his parents. And we went to see Lionel Richie and... And Tina Turner opened for him. Right? Fantastic show. That was my first concert. You know, and I, I like Lionel Richie's music. Got no problem with it. Grew up with it. Fantastic, even though I'm a metal guy. But the thing is, what was really interesting, that private dancer Tina Turner album that kind of put her back on the map again after so many years. You know, of course, if you've seen her movie or know anything, you know, she really struggled for a lot of years after she left Ike. I mean, she had nothing, but that album, uh, private dance, tiny dancer, private dancer came right out at that time, right within a couple days, one way or the other of me seeing that concert. I saw her right on the edge of when she became huge again. And so she was the opening act and here, uh, four months down the road, she would be headlining her own tour. That's how big Private Dancer was. But I got to see Lionel Richie and Tina Turner together because at that time, she just hadn't gotten big yet again. It was I remember it as being a great concert. Uh, I remember all night long, and I still remember that concert. I remember where I sat, um, where we sat, but that was my first concert. After that, I did not go to another concert until August 1989. I went to see, I went with uh, my uh, best friend to this day, Brad Carastori, and uh, a girl that went to Kiski, her name was Monica. I'm not going to give last names. Monica. There was another girl named Jean, and then another guy, uh, PJ, and there might have been a couple other people. We all went as a group. We went to see Warrant and Kingdom Come opened for them. And they played in the basement of the Syria Mosque. 
Like, yes, the basement. It was this really little crowded nightclub venue. I was really close to the stage. My ears rang for like three days afterwards. It was so loud. But that was when Warrant was just kind of coming on the scene. had been out. And uh, it was just dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking rich. A cherry pie had not come out yet. And um, that was a fantastic concert too. So 1984, Lionel Richie, Tina Turner. Then over five years later, my next concert was uh, Kingdom Kingdom Come. You might remember that they had a, some good tunes. Uh, they kind of sounded like Led Zeppelin. Opening for Warrant. So there you go, MT, answering... Your question. Uh, Penny says, fail to plan, plan to fail. I agree. Truri agrees with Penny. Uh, Art says, wow, that's a ticket. Uh, yeah, Lionel Richie and Tina Turner was spectacular. Ne- you know, and, you know, rest her soul, Tina Turner. Um, Charlotte said, that would have been so great, Mark. Private Dancer was a great album. It is. Uh, I learned to roller skate to that album, Mark. Um, you know, that was a that soundtrack from my eighth grade year that, um, Van Halen's 1984 Chicago, you know, all culture club that 1983, 84, 85 music prints, uh, brings back so many memories. Um, Charlotte says, I saw Warren in Cincinnati props to Lionel Richie, Charlotte Def Leppard in Cincinnati. Another time. Okay. Art. My first concert was The Who at Shea Stadium in New York City. Look at you. And The Clash opened. That was 1984 as well. Fantastic, MT. Well, thanks for answering my question, MT says. I was supposed to see Warrant, but they canceled. So Alice and Chains filled in. They were unknown at the time. Wow. Interesting, MT. Thank you. Yeah, this was still uh, 1989 was when the the glam metal and everything was still popular. Uh, Everything, of course, would change by about the time 1992 came. All right, and the other question is, Penny, hello, Penny, asked me, who comes up with the titles for the episodes? I do. Uh, Penny, I tried to, uh, you know, we've had a different title since the beginning. So 297 disappearance episodes, 297 different titles. And um, I come up with them because, I, you know, I think it helps to think of these things kind of in themes. And uh, I do, um, you know, I love words and I love playing with words. I love creating, you know, the episodes and writing them. No, I don't use AI or anything. I never will. But I come up with the titles for the episodes. Uh, And sometimes you will notice a lot of times I get the titles from the episodes from something that the guest says during uh, the interview or something, a topic that we happen upon. And I kind of riff off of that. Um, so I don't create the titles for the episodes until the interviews and everything else have already been done. So that is how it all gets done, Penny. Uh, but thank you for asking. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. Good one. Might have to, uh, include that in the next, uh, Q and a episode next year, if I can remember. Uh, Carrie says, uh, yeah, Stormy Dorsey. Thank you all for sending your thoughts and prayers out to Stormy Dorsey. As Carrie's saying, saying in the chat, uh, she is home and doing well. Um, yeah. 20, 297 themes equals good. Thank goodness. 
Uh, Noah, thanks for answering. I'll remind you. Okay, honey, thank you. All right, let's get back to the business of disappearances. And I want to talk about this young man who went missing for eight years and ended up being alive. In fact, I have two kind of stories like that. But let me, I have to go up here and find the, uh, let's see here. Where is it? No. All right. I'm going re- re- to read the original story and then I'm going to read the updated story. The original story. The last time Rudolph Rudy Feria's Fer- mother saw her son was when he went to take his two dogs on a walk on March 6th, 2015. So this is a full year and a half before Unfound ever got started. March 6th, 2015. I won a tournament in March 2015. Near his home in Houston, Texas. He's just had so much thrown at him the past few years. Brenda Paradise, that is her last name, a private investigator working for the Ferris family told Dateline. Officials say the 18-year-old left his home around 6 p.m. with his two dogs. Hours, Several hours later, one of the dogs returned home. The next morning, the second dog came home. Both were mis- missing their leashes. According to family members, Rudy had been suffering from depression for several months. Several years ago, he lost his older brother to a motorcycle accident. Paradise says both Rudy and his mother were two of the first people on the scene the day of the accident. He watched his best friend die right in front of him. His brother was his best friend in the world. He's just gone through so much more than anyone his age ever should. Detectives are openly investigating. Once again, this is written back in 2015, but say they do not suspect foul play at this time. Right now, it is just classified as a missing persons case. and We have an offer assigned to the case who's tracking down all the leads brought to us. John Cannon, uh, spokesman for the Houston Police Department. Regardless of what may have happened, Paradise says all Rudy's mother wants is answers and closure. This family has been through so much. Whatever happened, a mom needs answers about her son. Rudy is described as five foot eight, weighing 215 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. If you have any information about Rudy, please call the Houston Police Department. Well, that was back in 2015. Over eight years ago. Well, here is the updated story. From this past weekend, Houston. A Texas man who went missing as a 17 year old is recovering in the hospital with his family eight years after he disappeared. Authorities say Rudolph Rudy Farias, the fourth, went missing from Houston in March 2015 when he was 17 years old. He'd been walking his dogs, who reportedly turned home, returned home without him. His family then reported him missing, telling officials he was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Authorities searched for Farias over the next several days, but did not find him. Eight years later, the now 25-year-old Farias is recovering in a Houston hospital after his mother says someone called 911 upon finding him unresponsive outside a church. Farias' mother says he was found with cuts and bruises on his body and blood in his hair, and she believes he was badly abused and beaten. She told KTRK that family members have tried talking to Farias, but he will only say a few words. She says it will take a long time for his son to heal, but she is thankful he is alive. Please continue to keep his family in your prayers as Rudy recovers. 
in the hospital the Texas Center for the Missing tweeted. The nonprofit said on Twitter that Ferrios was found Saturday, so just two days ago. Authorities confirmed Sunday he had been located and was safe. Tim Miller, the director for Texas Texas EquiSearch, many of you know who he is, helped search for Ferrios after he went missing in 2015. He told KPRC he never would have imagined Ferrios would still be alive. We believe in miracles, and this certainly was a miracle, Miller said. Miller said. I can't tell you how many times we searched, how many leaves and tips came in, and they just kind of faded away. Now, all of a sudden, this. Police have not said what led Ferry's disappearance, led to Ferry's disappearance, or where he may have been for the past eight years. At the time of his disappearance, in fact, investigators said they did not suspect foul play. So this is really uh, great news. Uh, stunning, of course. You know, we've experienced that now twice here on Unfound just this year with the um, rediscovery of Brandon Roberts and then the more recent news about um, Alan Glasgow being alive. And, of course, unfortunately, the story there is not quite as happy because he says he doesn't want anything to do with his family, his friends. Of course, he has a child with the woman who was the guest. He doesn't want anything to do with any of them. Whereas with Brandon Roberts, he was found uh, in, you know, in the hospital. It may very much like what's going on here with Rudy and that he is now home. I've not had a chance to talk to his mother yet. I should put that on my list of things to do. But of course, in both of those disappearances, those men were not missing for eight years. Um, those are much more recent disappearances that we had covered. Now, one thing they left out of both stories um, is that that might you might look as being the motive for his disappearance is that his father had committed suicide the year before. And it wasn't just that. His father was actually a police officer, I think, in the Houston Police Department, and that his father was being investigated for ticket rigging. And when the investigation started, the father committed suicide. This happened the year before Rudy went missing. So maybe because of the suicide, maybe because he's a police officer, they left it out of both these stories. But there are, are other stories out there uh, where you can find this. Now, what I did uh, in trying to um, you know, look a little more into this, uh, Rudy's disappearance was on the Charlie Project, and here's a partial of that. Rudy suffers from depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Megan C.Y. lost his brother, lost his father. And he has pre previously attempted suicide. He may not have been taking his medication at the time of his disappearance and may be disoriented as a result. <clears throat> Rudy also suffers from asthma and uses an inhaler, which he was carrying at the time of his disappearance. But the inhaler was found actually after he went missing. So, of course, as a person who also has an inhaler for specific instances, um, you know, these things do run out. So no way he could have been using it for the last, last eight years. or We just don't know. And so what was he doing all this time? People are looking for him. He's a 17-year-old. He's found in the general area of where he went missing. 
And then he just pops out of nowhere on the steps of a church. I'm hoping that one of these days soon, uh, he will talk about where he was the whole time. But it's, it's, you know, we know how many of these stories, they pop up like this, there's great news, and then you never hear about them again. But for those of us who like to study these things and try to understand what's going on, how can we apply Rudy's disappearance to all these others that we think might be like them that we've had on Unfound? We have to know what was going through that person's mind, or mind over eight years. How did he avoid being seen? How did he avoid uh, people searching for him? What did he think if he saw anything on the news about him, if he saw any posters that or flyers that were put up? Did he go to another city? You know, these are all questions, of course, that I would like to ask. I don't know if I'll have access to them, but I'd certainly like to know all of this. Um, because really, I mean, let's just admit it. Given what we learned about Rudy, it, you know, 17 and all these other things going on in his life at the time, he doesn't seem like the type who would have been able to survive on the streets for eight years. So as I even went to web Sleuths to see what people were saying over the years that he was missing, you know, some people were thinking, could he have gotten abducted? Could he have gotten sex, sex trafficked or something? And given that when he was found, it seems like he had been beat up. Maybe. It's, I, I think, just think it's uh, a little too hard to tell. I'd, I'd like any of your insights into what you think went on with him for these last eight years. If you want to put that in the chat, please do. But it's a surprise. It's, you know, it's um, as, you know, the guy from EquiSearch, I mean, he knows disappearance as well as anybody. And he even says he's stunned by it. So if he's stunned, that should tell you something. Um, Shree says that this, this young kid uh, we're talking about, that he was supposed to testify in a criminal case as well. I might have read that, Shree. Thank you. Art, I'm pretty much partial to my THC inhaler. Okay, Art. Uh, Carrie, you are very welcome. Uh, Charlotte, maybe he was being held at the time and escaped. That may come out, Charlotte. I think it's something that we have to be open to at this time. I don't know how likely it is, but nothing contradicting that. Uh, Serenity, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Suzanne says, I think he was taken by someone. We do have to remember that when he went missing, he didn't take his dogs with him. They actually ended up coming home. Amazing how dogs can do that. Sheree, the homeless population is huge in Houston. All kinds of people survive. I think that's the answer. What do I know, though? Uh, well, you do live kind of close to that area, Sheree. All right, several extended family members have claimed the mom had him locked away. Wow. Okay, Art, if you um, Art, if you wanted to put a link, I, I did not, you know, in reading about it today, I did not see anything like that. So uh, if you'd like to post a link, to wherever Reddit, if it's on Reddit or something, though, I don't know if I'm supposed to believe that. But um, if you have a reputable link of something like that, Art, please put it in the chat. And uh, maybe Sheree, if he puts, uh, or she, or maybe Art Randall is a woman, I don't know. But um, if you want to put a link or something in there, Art, 
Uh, maybe sure you can check out the link uh, if it happens before the end. Uh, well, if it's mentioned by another YouTuber, I don't think we want to get into that art. I really, no, I don't think we want to go there then. Uh, I, I really, then I start wondering. I No, we don't, no, I don't think we can do that. Or, so I'm not going to do that. Not saying it's not true, but I would feel much better if it was something that was like on Wesley's where I know things are getting moderated or it's an actual news starter. If it's on Reddit, you know, people can just write and say anything out there. All right. So very great story. Will we ever know what went on during this whole time? Maybe not. Um, we're to 44 thumbs up. Can we get one more? Can we get one more? Can we get two more? Somebody, maybe you just came into the live show, maybe just getting off work and has not hit the thumbs up yet. This happens all the time. Can we get to 45 thumbs up? Please consider it. We've already got past our goal, and I appreciate everybody for, we're going to start doing this every week, by the way. But I appreciate everybody who is uh, giving a thumbs up. There's 45. There we go. All right. I think we can all relax now. Of course, anybody wants to add in another one, please do before the end of the show. But 45, spectacular, everyone. Thank you. Great job. All right. Let's go back. Um, There is a big um, change coming to the live show. No, it's not changing days. It's not changing times or anything like that. But um, uh, let's rock. Maybe his injuries have to do with why he surfaced rather than his experience over eight years. I think the same goes for Brandon Roberts. If he wasn't badly injured, he'd still be in the wind. That's a very good possibility, Rockford. Thank you. Uh, very possible. Sure. Marty, can we get to 50? Can we get the 50 thumbs up? Maybe we can. Uh, maybe we're at 45. Can we get to 50? I feel like... I am an auctioneer, but I want to get back to the live show is going to be changing. Now for people who have been with out and found for a long, long time, you know that this show originally started on Tuesdays on Facebook. Maybe some of you remember in the very, 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 very early days, like late 2017. And then it went to Wednesdays on Facebook. And then it went to YouTube on Wednesdays. And for over a year now, we've been on Mondays and I'm going to say it again. You just do not know how much it's made my life easier for having this on Mondays instead of Wednesdays. But the big change that's coming though, is that you will in the near future, I'm not saying it's going to be next week, but in the near future, you will be able to access this live show live even if you are not on YouTube. Uh, This came from um, a meeting that I had with Sheree and my sister, other assistant, Eric, yesterday. And actually, technically, it was something that Sheree mentioned to me a couple months ago that I didn't do. But I put it right to the, the, the top of the list when it got mentioned again yesterday. That you in the near future will be able to access this live show from Facebook, from Twitter, 
and even from inside the discussion group on Facebook. So it will be live streaming and all of those places at the same time. You'll be able to comment. You'll be able to like everything else. And I'll be using a program called StreamYard. And I just started messing around with I should have done this a long time ago. But I looked at it today. I'm going to have to learn how to use it. Cherie's going to, I'm probably going to be doing some practicing this coming weekend, myself and Cherie. And so you will not have to be on your YouTube app to watch the show. And you'll be able to do this in the group. I know many, many, many of you are in the discussion group. I know many, many of you, you know, have liked the Facebook page or on Facebook or whatever else. And if you are a, if you've liked the page and you follow the page on Facebook, and, and my instincts tell me people will spend more time on Facebook than they do on YouTube, um, you'll just be able to watch it there. You'll be able to comment and like and do everything you're already able to do like we already do here. And that is going to be starting in addition to that. But once again, the time is not changing. The day is not changing. The live show is still going to be two hours long. It's still going to be a podcast. I'll still be able to turn it into audio for people who can't get to it on Monday nights, want to listen or watch on a Tuesday or Thursday or whatever. The other thing that's going to be starting is that the way you see me on here is going to change. I know many of you watch probably other live shows or videos on YouTube. And you know, there's usually like, a you know, if you're looking at me right now, there's usually like a banner down here or it's like framed or the, or the host's face is like up in a corner and there's pictures or whatever else. I'm going to start doing that for the live show as well. So it very well may be when I get kind of very, really skilled at it that when I'm talking about an article or something, I can just have, you know, I can click something on the screen and it'll show maybe the picture, for example, this previous story, Rudy Farias picture or something. And when it's talking about Suzanne Morphew, Barry could paste the picture. But what will this also allow me to do is post links and things on this screen for all of you that say, hey, while you're watching, maybe you want to check out the Unfound store, unfound-podcast.myspreadshop.com. Are you a Patreon member yet and everything? So I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to be getting a lot smaller in the picture. So I can do you know, some of these additional things that a lot of other people are already doing, both inside and outside of true crime. For example... There's a channel that I go to once in, once in a while here on YouTube called Beyond the Trailer. And I think the woman there does a great job uh, reviewing movies, talking about the movie industry and everything. That's all she does is use that. You know, she, when she's talking about movies, she'll have little, you know, pictures of the movies. And when she does a live show herself, you know, she's, you know, has posts about, you know, sign up to do this, do that, you know, like this video and everything else. This is what's going to be coming to the live show in the near future. Probably not next week, but it's coming. So I'm very, very excited about that. I'm hoping that that is, uh, of course, going to boost 
the live show numbers. If it can be accessed more easily, if people don't have to go to from one app to another and back and forth, wherever they are on that particular evening is where they can watch the show. Then I think that's better for everybody. So it's happening and um, it's going to, yeah, I also took a look at Streamlabs. It's kind of the same, but it does seem that StreamYard is just a little better. Maybe has a little couple better reviews and, and things. So uh, once again, uh, within the next month or so, it's just not going to just be me setting all this up on YouTube to just play on YouTube. It's going to be me setting up this live show in StreamYard. And so when I hit the go live button, it will automatically be broadcasting to all of these different places. And in addition, that's probably what's going to happen first. And then um, eventually, once I get a little artistic with all of it, you'll see some things and, you know, uh, I won't be so big in the screen. I'll be moved up, you know, into a corner or something and I'll be able to have a little more interaction. It'll be a little more of maybe visually appealing than just looking at me and seeing my video games in the background and, you know, and seeing my condo in the background. Although I have to say my opinion, this background's a lot better than when I used to do it over in the other room. I love the unfound pictures in the background and everything, but that room is yellow and it's horrible. So I barely ever even go in that room anymore. So that is coming. Um, Carrie says, I totally remember the Facebook Monday Night Lives. Um, actually, it was Facebook. We never did Facebook on Monday nights, uh, Carrie. It was Facebook on Wednesdays or Facebook on Tuesdays. But that, that was way, way early on on Tuesdays. Very, very early on. Marty says, that will be awesome. Carrie says, I love StreamYard. Uh, Charlotte says, interesting. Carrie, that is what Jill and I use now. If life can slow to do more. Uh, Carrie says, we played with a lot of options. StreamYard will give you the best bang for the buck. Carrie, we haven't gone live with it yet, but record with it. Okay, very good, Carrie. Wednesday, Tuesday, yeah. So that is coming to the live show. So you know me. I like switching things up. I like trying new things. Uh, Marcus, I guess we won't get to see Ed's name anymore with him being with him being in the corner. Ed's mane anymore. Everything. Oh, don't worry, Marcus. You're going to still see this hair. The hair is not going anywhere. Don't worry. I'll make my picture large enough uh, that everybody will get to um, see this hair. And you should know if any of you have forgotten. You know, this is all my real hair. If you want to see my hair, you know, my hairline, there it is right there. But I'm going to be 53 on August 1st. And I don't color my hair at all. The hair jeans, man, very strong. Um, MT, will live show still be on YouTube or only available through Face? No, it's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be simulcast on Facebook page. It'll be in the Facebook group and it'll be on Twitter. It'll be on all of them at the same time, MT. So if you want to come to YouTube and view it like you usually do, you can do that. It just you won't notice a change at all. But for any of you who maybe um you know aren't on YouTube very much except for this live show or something, if you want to watch it somewhere else, 
you will be able to do that. The chat and everything else uh, will be the same. So very exciting. Some of the other things, um, you know, that came up, really not sure that I want to get into some of the other things that Eric and Cherie uh, and I talked about right at this moment, but that was the major thing that I wanted that came from the meeting that I wanted to mention tonight to, to, to prepare all of you for that. And I'm very excited about it. Moving on a couple uh, more unfound things, and I want to get to one more uh, national article before uh, we get to this Friday's episode. You should know this Friday, we're coming up on disappearance number 297. Now that's not, those are just episodes. Now, of course, in some of those episodes, there's, of course, we've covered the disappearance of couples. We covered the disappearance of an entire airplane with passengers on it. But as far as episodes with disappearances, this does not count the Q&A episodes. It doesn't count the uh, update episodes. It doesn't count any of the revisited episodes. It doesn't count the anniversary episodes. These are just the disappearances that were covered. We're coming up on number 297 on Friday. Crazy. No way, no how could I have ever predicted getting to this number. You just do not know how stunned I am by that. I can remember thinking, you know, back when I was about on like about 115 and I thought that was a lot. And I was like, man, what's it going to be like getting to 200? And what's it going to be like getting to 250? And of course we've blown right by that. And I know, granted, I know that, there are a lot of other true crime shows that have been out for a lot longer. For example, Generation Y has been out since like 2013. They have like, I don't know, 700, 800 episodes or something. Maybe not that many, maybe 500 or something. But, you know, so I know there are other true crime podcasts that have been out longer. But when you're kind of a niche or niche podcast and you only cover disappearances, to get to that, and I could say the same thing, The Vanish. The Vanish started also in 2016, but early 2016, I think January or February, um, that, uh, you know, so I'm guessing, you know, and I know, though, that um, Marissa maybe takes some weeks off, I've been told, and I know that she became a mother at some point in all of this since The Vanish got started, so she can take off as much time as she wants. So she's probably around that number two somewhere in there. I don't, I don't know. Maybe some of you maybe listen to her and maybe you, you know, maybe she even talks about it as well, but um, it's probably at a higher number, but I'm just amazed that, you know, we made it this far. <laughs> really, Considering all the problems that it took to get this thing started. So this Friday disappearance, Number 290, an episode with a disappearance in it. Number 297. I think overall, Unfound has about, let me see, let me see if this is open. I can check that. Unfound as a whole has 377 episodes. Of which 290 will be 90s seven of them are disappearance. So the other 80 
are update episodes, revisitation episodes, a um, couple Q&A episodes. You know, those are the other things that take up the rest. And there were some two-parters in there as well, probably. But 297, it's crazy. It's a crazy number to me. Um, nobody's more surprised than I am. Moving on, another important unfound item that I want to bring up. And Charlotte, I think you were the here in the chat, Charlotte. I think you were the one who let everybody know um, that Stitcher is going away. So I don't know how many of you really listen on Stitcher. Uh, I know, I, I I know where people, what people, you know, they tell me on my my um the statistics that I get for Unfound. They tell me, you know, the percentage that are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher is not one of the popular places where unfound is, you know, gets listened. Um, but it's going away, right? Charlotte, you've, uh, you've said that. And, uh, I, from what I've been told, it's going away. So anybody who uses stitcher out there, if you're listening to this on stitcher, this, you're going to have to find another app. Now, the good news, I think, is that you can listen to podcasts on Spotify for free. Remember, um, I am a paying member of Spotify. I've been a member from Spotify even before I be, uh, Unfound got wrapped up in the Spotify stuff. But I pay for it. But what you get when you pay is you get access to all the music without any commercials or anything else. Whereas if you're going to listen to Spotify for free, the podcast is free because why all the podcasts have advertising in them. So Charlotte, you um, might have to think about uh, Spotify. And the way you get Spotify is you just go into, um, you know, if you listen on your phone or whatever, you if you just go to you know Google Play and find the Spotify app. Or if you have uh, an iPhone, you go to the iTunes store, you go to the apps, and you download it. Um, so that's how you can um, do that. And to me, my opinion, Spotify is easier to use than iTunes. So even though I know that iTunes is the most popular place where people listen to Unfound, so for all of you, Stitcher is going away. My recommendation is get the Spotify app. I'm not saying there aren't other choices, but and I'm not saying this because Unfound is part of it. And but I've, as a person who uses Spotify for other things, I listen to podcasts on there too. Although they're not true crime podcasts, it's a really good platform. I would. I, I think you should consider it. Rockford says, hey, speaking of Eric, he did a great job with Unfound on the Ground yesterday. I confess that it's been a long time since I thought about Ambrose Bierce, and I had no idea about the disappearance. That's why we do it, Eric. Or that's why we do it, Rockford. Um, you know, these well-known disappearances or well-known disappearances at one time, and then they kind of go into the sands of time. That's kind of what we do with Unfound uh, on the Ground. So I'm glad you enjoyed it um on uh after uh the think tank last night and that is something what rockford's talking about is um something that patreon uh, premium patreon members get 
at the $12 a month level and above. It's a monthly series that my assistant Eric does looking at well-known disappearances from history. Uh, Marty, it's a heck of a quest getting through all the, all, all 300 some episodes. I know Marty, I've done it. Uh, it's free on Spotify. Rockford. So true. Marty just did Ashley Summers and Charles Thompson last week. Also a stitcher user and soon to be a former one, I guess. Yeah, it's going away. I don't know what's going on at stitcher. Really? I, I, uh, I've never really ever used stitcher for anything. Uh, Deborah says, I don't know how to get a new one. Charlotte, I like it because all my podcasts are in place and it's so easy to use. I'm sure they're all on Spotify and you can line them up. It's just going to be a, a, a learning curve there, Charlotte. Marty, I'm a Spotify user. Carrie, I have a free Spotify account. Love using it. There you go. MT also likes Stitcher. Charlotte, okay, thanks. I'm not sure which one all you use. Carrie, Charlotte, you can save it in your favorites. It's easy to use. Charlotte, uh, Marty, yes, Spotify is very easy to use, Marty. You're well on the quest, Rockford. I I just did Rodney Kaiser today. Well, Rodney Kaiser goes back to about, what, 2020 maybe? When we covered his disappearance? Yeah. From Virginia? Okay. So Stitcher is going away. One more thing before I get to one more news item is that another thing that came out of the meeting yesterday was that Shri has tracked down tracked down a new website person. And I can't wait to speak to this young man. Shri, I'm very excited about this. So, um, you know, the, the website needs updated. And I'm hoping that uh, this young man, uh, I can give him some good insight, uh, kind of a vision. Not going to expect changes overnight, but just kind of give him some ideas. So I'm very excited about the website uh, getting a new look uh, before the year is over. So, Sheree, thank you uh, for getting that done. Deeply appreciate it. Charlotte says it's because Sirius owns Stitcher and is ending it. Okay, I didn't know that. All right. One more item before... And I didn't really have a chance to get all that tonight. Probably, I really wanted to talk about... I suppose I could make this the last topic. Uh, maybe some of you, uh, we got about, what, 12, 13 minutes before I have to call in a night. Some of you probably saw that, that, that um, resource officer, Scott Peterson, coincidentally having the name Scott Peterson, was found, he was acquitted this past Thursday of child neglect and other charges for failing to confront the shooter who killed 17 people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, High School back in 2018. It's known as the 2018, the Parkland School Massacre. And that did happen here in Florida. You will see that a jury of six people acquitted him of all charges. And my perception is that the public is very stunned by this and um, pretty miffed about it as well. And, you know, it's one of those things that the public, I guess the jury, you could call the jury the public, I guess, got its say. And for some reason, these six people decided that um, 
He was not guilty of the charges brought against him. It says, without an on-point statute to base their case upon, prosecutors tried to make the law fit the facts instead of the facts fit the law, lawyers said. That is always a tough courtroom battle to win. The Peterson case has always been an uphill climb for the prosecutors, Miami criminal defense attorney said. It's so bad for the victims and their families. Their pain will last for a lifetime. For them, the disappointment of the system continues. It was compounded by the state pushing forward on this case, despite the high odds um, of obtaining a conviction. Um, Florida has well-defined statutes that cover unlawful actions law enforcement officers might commit, such as unjustly shooting or beating a suspect. But none says a school police officer must act while students are being shot. I'm going to come back to that. That is what Peterson is accused of doing nothing. He has insisted he would have acted, but echoes prevented him from pinpointing where the gunshots were coming from. He'd faced a possible lengthy prison sentence if convicted. Uh, the school's on-campus deputy Peterson was in his office February 14, 2018, when Nicholas Cruz began his six-minute attack, firing about 140 shots with an AR-15 style rifle inside a three-story classroom building. Peterson and two unarmed civilian security guards arrived at the building within two minutes. Cruz was at the opposite end, killing the last of the 11 people he would murder on the first floor. An unarmed security officer had opened a door to go after him. Security video shows Peterson got within feet of another door and drew his handgun, but then backed away, taking cover next to an adjoining building 75 feet away. He radioed arriving deputies to stay 500 feet back. Meanwhile, Cruz headed up the stairs to the third floor where he would kill six more, beginning 73 seconds later. Uh, Peterson would stay next to the alcove for 40 minutes long after the shooting had stopped. Cruz had fled and other officers charged inside. By the way, this is different than the Uvalde situation, what was kind of the same that happened much more recently. Eight days later, then Sheriff Scott Israel, who was under political pressure for the shooting, said the video, the, his video review of Peterson's actions made him sick. Peterson retired, was then retroactively fired. Israel was also fired 11 months later by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis shortly after he took office. Peterson's attorney, Mark Iglarsh, has said Israel's comments unjustly set the community against his client. He said Israel never spoke to Peterson to get his side though they had been friends. Every one of us erroneously assumed that my client knew the kids were being killed in that building and he just didn't go in. The jurors made it clear that their verdict, their, with their verdict, that that couldn't be further from the truth. He did everything he could. Circuit Judge Mark Fine sealed the jurors' names and none came forward Friday to say whether they believed Peterson or simply didn't think the law fit. More than a year after the, the, year after the shooting, prosecutors charged Peterson the most serious counts were in child neglect, a charge mostly most commonly levied against parents whose lack of care leads to their child's death or serious injury to be convicted. Peterson had to be considered a caregiver to the students who were shot, an assertion that caused the skeptical judge fine to almost dismiss the case before it got to the jury. University of Miami law professor Craig Tresino said that if the prosecution's theory were true, Every first responder then would be subject to criminal liability for child neglect. Anytime there's a child present at any time, an officer is also present. And I could go on reading this article. But, you know, 
let me uh let me read um are you reading um okay you're going back and forth okay uh art said not long ago scotus ruled that police have to no duty to protect us you know it's weird to me um here's what i think i know about this once again as all of you know i have no police officer experience i never aspired to be a police officer could not have been a police officer for a lot of different reasons but here is what I think I know. And by the way, we have nine minutes to go. We have three more thumbs up to 50. Can we get 50? I need three more people. Maybe somebody who's gotten in here late. We need three more thumbs up to get to 50. But here's what I think I know. If the day before this, on the day before this happened, Going, oh, so February 13th, 2018, Scott Peterson is at his job. Somebody shows up there, a reporter, and asks him, what is your job here? I'm pretty sure, pretty, pretty sure. I don't know how long Scott Peterson's answer would have been, but I'm pretty sure that he would have said, my job is to protect the students. My job is to protect the children. I'm sure that would have come up somewhere. The issue is that his defense in court was that my job is to not protect the children. To me, you can't have it both ways. Now, I know there's not necessarily a law that fits, but we also know that juries... Um, do convict people even if the law doesn't quite fit. And we also know, on the other hand, that the juries let people go or find them not guilty even if the law fits. I guess you could call both things you know, kind of jury nullification, kind of. So this is what – so he has a gun. What is he doing there? What is he doing there? Why does he have a gun? If his job isn't to run toward somebody who's using a gun, why does he have a gun? It gets a little confusing to me. Now, I know what the law says, but that's, you know, this is why I probably, um, you know, I, and I was just with my friend Sarah on Saturday. We were actually talking about this, about jury duty. I've never served on a jury. <laughs> You know, as I joked to her, I've been part of a criminal trial twice on the stand, but I've never been in jury duty. It's usually the opposite. Um, I've only one chance and then it got canceled. That's been it. But this is probably the reason that I'll never make it on a jury because these types of things don't make any sense to me. I probably would have hung that jury. Probably. Probably. And we do get to 50. Thank you so much. Whoever just gave those last three thumbs up, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm just ecstatic. Thank you so much for the thumbs up tonight. Really, really, uh, everybody got in the spirit of getting to 50. We, we got to 40, then 45, then 50. It's spectacular. This is why I can't be on a jury. I'll say it again. I'm pretty sure... Anytime Scott Peterson, up until that day, if he was asked at a picnic, at a baseball game or anything, yeah, I'm a, 
a resource officer at the school. What does that mean? What do you do there? Well, my job is to protect the children. You know, I make sure everything's smooth. There's any, any suspicious people on campus. Overall, I'm just there to protect the kids. You know, a lot of crazy people, schools getting shot up and everything. That's why I'm there. But then when a shooting happens, he says, oh, wait a minute. My job is not to protect the children. My opinion, and I even went to Wikipedia. I even typed in, what is a school resource officer? Here's what Wikipedia says. The United States Department of Justice defines school resource officers as sworn law enforcement officers responsible for safety and crime prevention in schools. Now, I'm pretty sure stopping the killings of students qualifies as crime prevention. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. This is not helping things. You know, obviously, and I'm not here to get into politics, but we know that over the last, let's say, five years, police have been, you know, under attack. A lot of people coming out against the police, the fund, the police, all these things. And I'm not here to come down on any side of it. But I'm telling all of you police officers, any law and people in law enforcement, this doesn't help. If you're all ticked off about what's been going on and law enforcement, you know, police officers getting let go and fired and budgets being reduced and everything, this kind of stuff doesn't help. In addition, on the other hand, for public schools, doesn't help them either. Because I'm pretty sure that the teachers, you know, my, uh, you know, my sister was a teacher. uh, My sister-in-law was a vice principal at Largo High School, on and on and on. My dad was a teacher. I know all about education. I'm pretty sure all those people on campus think that the guy who walks around on campus with a gun is supposed to protect them. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I, I, and unfortunately, the, you know, when this kind of stuff gets out, it only makes it more likely that this kind of stuff is going to happen again. It's just... Uh, let me see. If he isn't the police job to protect the innocent and endangered, whose job is it? Kathy. Uh, okay. Deborah says, not everyone is wired to be a hero. I feel you wouldn't know until it absolutely happens to you. Well, I realize that, but there should be penalties for not doing your job. Now, once again, the jury decided it wasn't his job. Then what's he doing there? What's he doing there? I think everybody was under the impression that was his job even if the law didn't say so. They went to school. These teachers went to the school. The students went to the school under the belief that he was supposed to protect them. Maybe there's going to be a civil lawsuit. Maybe. I don't get it. Carrie, I truly believe no one knows what they would actually do until they found themselves in that position. Once again, I'm not saying, but there should be a penalty for him not doing his job. No different than a truck driver who takes a wrong turn, your job is to stay on the right side of the road. There will be penalties if you don't. 
Being a coward isn't against the law, though. Ed, I think you nailed it. The law may not be written well enough to match legislature's intent, let alone the average citizen's sense of justice. Many juries will follow the law. Others will nullify. Right, Sherry. Here was a law and order about that, but it's still a hard thing. I concur with the jury on this one. Rockford, my friend Kathy will tell you that even some tax lawyers rely on technicalities to get their clients out of assessment penalties rather than try to rely on substantive arguments. Rockford, by the way, Kathy, okay. Um, Marie, I agree on 100%. It's easy to say he's a coward. You don't know what you do. You know what? Once again, if he doesn't want to go in there and do that, okay, there should be a penalty for that because he's there. They're all there. They're relying on him. He's letting them down. They think he knows his job. He's told everybody probably what his job is. And when you don't do that and other people are relying on you, there has to be a penalty. That's how civilization works. We rely on other people for things. And if you don't do that, there's a price to pay. You know, we all have a contract between each other that we're going to do the best we can. And when we don't, there has to be consequences. For this guy, there are no consequences. Uh, it was his job and he failed, but whether it's criminal is another matter. Kathy, um, okay, Carrie, the prosecution filed wrong charge, but what is the correct charge? They can only convict if they prove every element of the law. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I've beat that n- enough into the ground, but there's just there's just something wrong. It's just, it's a travesty. It is a travesty. All right. Uh, this Friday, we're not leaving Texas. We were in Texas last Friday. We're going to stay in Texas, but we're coming up much more recently to May 1st of 2016 for the disappearance of Bianca Carrasco, C-A-R-R-A-S-C-O. From San Antonio, Texas, have two guests, Julie Stinson, who is a friend of Bianca's, and Bianca's sister, Giovanna Bernie. Bianca, like I stated earlier, this is very much like the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew. Bianca was in a relationship uh, with her husband, Daniel. She had a guy on the side. And she was also frustrated with her marriage. She had been married 10 years. She was thinking about getting out. And on this particular day, allegedly, she and Daniel had a fight. He claims that she walked off. Then he left in his truck with their daughter, leaving two other kids at home, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. He passed Bianca walking down the street of their neighborhood. He went to Odessa, Texas. She was never seen again. That is the setup for this disappearance. So once again, if you want to start checking it out, Bianca Carrasco, C-A-R-R-A-S-C-O, from San Antonio, Texas, May 1st, 2016. And we have two guests. I do not have a theme or title for the episode yet. I'll be working on that tomorrow. So there you go. That is all I have for tonight. Thank you all. We got to 50 thumbs up tonight. That is spectacular. Great job, everybody. I just am so humbled by that. Thank you so much. But we're going to start doing this every week. So you got to get used to it. But I think it's going to be a little easier given that we're going to have more locations where this live show is going to be playing. That's all I got. Keep your heads on swivels. 
Think about becoming a Patreon member, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, or join here. Of course, there's also PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. We have a sale, July 4th sale in the store tomorrow, unfound-podcast.myspreadshop.com. 23% off everything. If you'd like to partake in that, everybody have a safe fourth. Stay away from the fireworks. I hope you all come out with five or ten fingers and ten toes. And you'll see and hear me on Friday for the disappearance of Bianca Carrasco. Good night, everyone.